loves God deeply, and he loves this church. Joseph has quite a history. I'm going to tell a little bit of it so that Joseph doesn't have to. Joseph uh, was at a Pentecostal church before here. You were uh, a youth leader, worked as a youth leader at the church, the youth pastor there at the church for some years. I'm not exactly sure how many. I just know it was quite a few years. Worked as a, as a youth pastor there uh, at the church. And then God started to tug on Joseph's heart, and he recognized there was a, a, a better fit for his family, and there was a different direction that his family and he needed to go, and God brought them here to Meriden Hills. After visiting for some time, Joseph and his family became members and have been members of Meriden Hills for, I think, like seven years, Joseph, right? Six, seven years have been members of Meriden Hills. Joseph has been a great help to me in ways that did not include staff or leadership positions per se. Joseph has has uh, stepped in and preached for us in the past. He stepped in and taught for us in the past. Joseph has assisted our church in many ways that you guys are not aware of, and that's because Joseph just has a servant's heart. Joseph, before he became a licensed family therapist, worked for CNN, or was it? No, it wasn't. It it was? ESPN. ESPN. Thank you. There's an N in there somewhere. (laughs) ESPN. ESPN as a news sports broadcaster. I mean, like the dream job for most guys. But just again, Joseph's desire to serve God and to serve God's people, he believed there was something better that he could do with his life, and God brought him from broadcasting ESPN to starting the long journey of education to become a licensed therapist. And man, that was a long journey, Joseph. Years Joseph took classes. Years Joseph worked with other licensed therapists. As an intern, you might say, learning the trade. And then just about a year and a half ago or so, two years ago, Joseph attained his license and has been a a licensed family therapist since. Joseph worked for a company as a licensed family therapist, but there was restrictions working for another company, and Joseph did not want some of those restrictions and is now stepping towards more of an independent structure where Joseph can counsel in a way that he believes is best for the individual and as a counselor, a Christian counselor, without the restrictions. It doesn't pay as much, and it requires more work, but again, Joseph is not afraid of work. And now we are looking at Joseph becoming the Spanish pastor here at Meriden Hills Baptist Church. And everything I've told you about Joseph is what's needed in that kind of position. A man who has a heart for people more than money. A man who has a heart for people more than the, the, the glory of certain positions like a broadcaster for ESPN. A man who's willing to do the dirty work. A man who's willing to serve. A man who is faithful and committed. And Joseph has been here at Meriden Hills for about seven, eight years. Has been faithful here to Meriden Hills That's the kind of leader that our Spanish ministry needs. And Joseph knows Spanish. So that helps too. Fluently, right, Joseph? I'll let you give them a little bit of your background history about where you're from and how that would be a help to the Spanish ministry. But this time, Joseph Montalvo. Thank you, bud. I love you like a brother, man. I'm standing on the step here so I can be eye to eye with Joseph. Good morning, church. That was challenging hearing someone say so many good things about me. Hope my wife is listening. Um... (laughs) get a few pointers. Um, the reality is um, I'm a little emotional today just because the music, the, the worship, you know, when Pastor John brought up the foundation of our church, it was just Christ Jesus, and I started meditating and contemplating on there is no better foundation, nothing as stable as Christ himself, and I got emotional, and luckily I'm in the back, so tears come down, no one saw me cry, but um, I just feel the joy, the presence of the Lord, and I'm just very happy. Um, Pastor Russ, I appreciate all the nice things you said. There's also a million flaws that I do have. 
and another million that God knows. Um, I am privileged to be here. I recognize that I'm here today because of the Lord, um, and we're all here today because of him. And God only knows all that you had to do just to make it here today. Right. If you had children, stressors, uh, I have one who's probably running around right now, um, climbing on things. I know sometimes there's difficulty. Life is hard. Life is complicated. But yet God gives us strength to be here. Um, I was born in Puerto Rico. I was raised here. So I have an American accent when I speak Spanish, a small Spanish accent when I speak English. Um, but I do speak at home. We all we spoke Spanish. I'm from Puerto Rico. We had we. We honor the Puerto Rican culture at home, and um, my parents did a great job of that. I do speak Spanish, and um, I have a love for people. Uh, I've been very fortunate in, in my professional career and things that I've seen to be exposed to a lot of demographics, a lot of people, a lot of cultures, um, and it's all been to glorify Christ. So I'm thankful to be here today. I do want to bring today what God has put in my heart. Before I do that, let's all just pray. Um, so, yeah, let's do that. Heavenly Father, Lord, before I even speak or preach, Lord, I ask that you look at each other, everyone's heart. I ask if there's anything disturbing their spirit, if there's anything impeding, Lord, ability to just focus, Lord. I ask that the Holy Spirit, Lord, brings a spirit of calmness among the church, Lord. I pray that every word spoken, everything I say is in glory to you and to you only. I ask that you use me as only an instrument, Lord, as I speak what's in my heart. Thank you for all that you do. I ask that you glorify yourself as you already do it. In Jesus' name, amen. So, as I was thinking about what to preach, and I'm going to start off with the verse. Um, the title of this message today is The Beauty of the New Life. And I was meditating, I was praying to God, and God brought all the blessings that he has given me in life. Um, and none of it at all was personal accolades, achievements. Um, he brought it right to my children. And I was thinking of my children, my three of my beautiful girls are right here today. I have two other sick ones at home. And I was thinking about how beautiful the work we got there. He brought all my, you guys don't know my story, not, that's different another time, but he brought all my children all at once, just like that. And I was thinking about how great that was, that God made me a, a parent, a father overnight, immediately, instantly. But then I started thinking about what really I was grateful for. And as much as I love my children, the one thing that stood out to me was that he saved me before I became a parent, that he absolutely gave me a new life before I could be a father to them. And that absolutely just went straight to my heart because he, I could have had children not being a believer. But the fact that he looked at me, sought me out and said, I'm going to change your life. I'm going to call you mine. I'm going to adopt you as my child so that you could be the father that you are. That's exactly what stood out to me. And so the verse that I'm going to preach from is 2 Corinthians 5.17, a very well-known verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Now, I've always been fascinated by the human reaction to novelty um, in new things. The, the whole psychology of, of people, how they engage or interact when something's new. Um, the emotional responses to it, the behavior to when something is brand new, whatever it is, whether there's a transition in life, whether there's a change in life, whether there's an item. I've seen a lot of you guys buy new iPhones and you hold it a lot more close than you hold your own kids, right? So just the, the reaction of just newness, right? 
I absolutely always, has always been fascinating. As a therapist, I see that, right? I see change consistently, whether there's a life transition, whether there's a child growing up in development, whether there's blended families, uh, a lot of changes. So I've been fascinated by change. Now, when you think about change, it brought me back to my younger days. So my first car was a 1989 Toyota Corolla. Yes, for those who have stereotypes, I'm Puerto Rican. My first car was a Toyota. And what? It was two options, either Toyota or Honda. But I, 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 my first car was a Toyota. I can make that joke. Um, and it was, a, it was a shoebox. It was just a shoebox with wheels. And I loved that car. My mom bought that car. My parents bought that car. And I loved it. I, 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 I was naive enough in my junior year thinking that my parents were going to buy me like a Corvette. Um, and then one day they were like, hey, I got your new car. I'll go to the driveway. It's a 1989 Toyota Corolla. Um, it's okay. I loved it. And I drove that car with all of my love and all my passion. Back then, I was inviting my buddies. Come on, let's go take a ride. I'll bring you to school. Just give me five bucks of gas because that made a difference back then. Um, now it's just insulting, and you just call a Uber for them. And so I loved that car so much. Um, but there's one, there's, but one day, actually it was actually one evening, um, where I lived, we lived in an apartment, there was, we had multiple cars. My car would be parked up front. So in order for me to get out of my driveway, I had to back out, right, and avoid the cars that were behind me. Now, I did that for years, no issues. This one day, I had the music blasting. I was a teenager, very ignorant, and I kind of put the gas a little bit too much. And I moved the wheel, and the whole front of the car ran into the to the, to the apartment, <laughs> my mom's laughing, and the whole siding just came off the, part, the, the apartment. My whole front of my 1989 Toyota Corolla was completely gone, and I just froze. And I was so embarrassed that I lied, and God forgive me, I told my, my mom, I was like, what happened? I was like, oh, my sock got stuck on the gas pedal, and I, and I actually did it, because I was so embarrassed, like, there's no way she's going to question my driving skills, being a teenager. But anyways, I'm there, and my car is absolutely, I love this car. So, Eventually, we knew people, and it was this mechanic. He got some spare parts, and he fixed the front of my car. The only thing is, remember, my Toyota Corolla was white. The, the part that they brought was a shiny red. So I was driving for, like, half a year with a white shoebox, and part of the front is all shiny red. And it was a little bit of embarrassment. She managed to drive up to school because there's kids who had nicer cars, and I'm pulling up with this little shoebox that's rattling, and it's multicolored now. Um, but something happened after that first incident. Like once that car hit that apartment, I started to have car issues with it. And it got to a point where no one could turn that car on. Only I can. So like if there was like winter and you got warmed, you had to rev the car up right back then, warm it up. No one could turn the car on. My parents, no one. I knew the trick and that you had to get to the car and sometimes you had to fidget the key in there and you had to pump it a certain way with a specific rhythm pattern and the car would just kind of give a little bit of life and right there you just force it up and it starts to live. So I had to revive the car every single morning. It changed. It absolutely changed. Uh, but it got to a point where it started to bring me issues. Now the destination that once brought me, it could never bring me back. And so eventually I graduated from undergrad and I got a new car. It's the car I have now, actually. Um, for you car people, go ahead, judge me. I've had two cars in my life. Um, it was a red Honda Civic. See, there's only two options. <laughs> Sometimes stereotypes are accurate. But hey, it was Honda. I was like, you know what? I'll move on to the other freaking car. I'm going to go to a Honda because my kids are going to end up driving it. Um, and so 
what I realized when I got that new car that it was able to bring me to different destinations a lot farther. I could do things that I could not do with the old car, which is drive past 60 miles per hour and not have it shaking and rattling on a highway. Um, change, but I was fascinated how it changed towards having something new. It just absolutely, I remember I used to stood out the window just admiring my new car. I'm like, wow, there's not a dent on there. Tomorrow I could turn it on and just drive off. It was just absolutely fascinating to me. Um, I love it. When I was in Honduras, right, there was a youth there. I'm not going to say any names, Jojo. And um, he, was, he, was, he wanted to buy sneakers, some Jordans. We recognized it was knockoff Jordans. It's fine. Um, Michael in Spanish is Miguel, so he got some Miguel Jordans. Um, and he got them on. And a day prior, we were preaching about kind of your first love and how sometimes you do your best to avoid creases and you walk different. And so we're on our way to church. And this kid, he's cute and handsome, so I could talk about you. I'm not calling you out. He's walking, no lie, and his parents can confirm. I took a video of it. He's walking like this. <laughs> Through the pebbles, just, it literally took him like a half hour to get to where we are supposed to get, right? The newness of those sneakers just completely changed his behavior to it, right? They were brand, they were white. Um, they just, they were clean. He wanted just, it felt good. He, you still have them, right? They didn't fall apart in water. Okay, good. Um, and so the newness, right? Something about new just changing things. Now, I talked about cars. I talked about sneakers. Now, how much more important is it to have a new life under Christ? The reason I bring this topic up today is because I often get asked as a therapist what, what concepts, what things um, improve the ability of people to, to manage or cope better, what are things that captivate them, what are things that help them grow and understanding. And the reality is, I can't tell you this topic right here has led to countless individuals to grow an understanding of God, understanding the new creation, especially myself now. As I talk about this, I'm actually talking, giving a little insight about me. What I'm going to talk about today is literally my outline, my formula to how I live my day. Every single day, I approach every single day based on what I'm going to speak about it. So as I talk about this, you learn a little bit more about me. So as we read that verse, we understand that Paul tells us that believers who have died with Christ no longer live for themselves, right? Our lives are no longer of this world. They're no, it's no longer worldly. They are now spiritual. That our death is that of our old sinful nature. And that was nailed to the cross to Christ. What a beautiful thing when you think about it. My goodness. If... It was buried with him, and when he was raised up by the Father, so were we raised up in the newness of life. Actually, that same newness of life that's, that's actually talked about, I believe, in Romans 6, right? The same newness of life is described. And that new person, right, that new person that was raised up with him, Paul, that's what Paul refers to a new creation. So that new creation is our new nature, our new spiritual natures. So within that same verse, I'm going to talk about my three points. One is that it's created by God. What's well, self-self-explanatory? Of course, God, there. you'd be surprised how people sometimes get confused by living a life. That new creation comes directly, exclusively by God. To understand the new creation, to kind of grasp the new creation, you have to understand that it's something created by God himself. This new birth, right, is not brought other than by the will of God. 
and we did receive a new, we didn't receive a new nature from our parents. We didn't receive it from ourselves. We can't recreate ourselves. There's no magic formula. There's no special diet. If you're gluten-free, if you're vegan, if you're vegetarian, if you eat only grass-fed beef, that's not going to make you new. Your gut may feel a little bit better, and that might feel new, but you can't recreate new. That's not going to make a difference. It can't be inherited. When I became saved, I gained a relationship with Christ. Unfortunately, I didn't inherit the nose that my mom gave me. That did not change. It's not a cosmetic. Sometimes that's difficult. Even when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, as intellectual as he was, the whole concept of us understanding being born again, he could not really fathom. You know, in the first book of, first chapter of John, we hear that, right? That we're not born of blood or the will of flesh nor the will of man, but of God. And to understand the new creation is to recognize that this is not behavior modification, right? When you're saved, it doesn't mean you just change your behavior. I talk to a lot of people, and they say, what does, what does the new creation mean? They'll say, well, it means that I go to church more now, or that I am now forgiven, or that I look different, my personality changes. Yeah, some of those things might change, especially if your personality was predicated and based on or influenced by a sinful nature. But the reality is, it's a lot more than that, right? When you accept Christ, you're born again. And it doesn't mean that God just washed you. It doesn't mean that he just cleaned up our own nature. God did, in fact, create a new, entirely new creation, fresh and unique to him. It's completely new, brought out by the same God that created the universe, the same God that created you, has adopted you and gave you a new spiritual nature. Only God could do something so beautiful like that. I think about it all the time where I was destined to go. That's humbling. It's very humbling when you think about it. Sometimes that gets lost because we live a life of pleasing or trying to glorify God. But think where you were at one point before you God saved you. Think about where you would have ended up. Self-change, self-will. I work in a field where that's taught, psychology of self. Doing things yourself, right? It's not enough. You can't please God by your own ability to change. And so you may improve the ability to improve your circumstances. You may even improve the quality of your day-to-day. You may learn coping skills. You may improve anger management. You could do these things, but you can never, ever die and be raised as a new creation unless God does the recreating. And if it's God, if it's God doing it through God's will, then that automatically changes our identity. See, human nature... Sinful nature tends to associate identity with behavior, right? When you ask someone what you do, who you are, a lot of times they tell you the profession, what they do, what's their job, right? It's, it's usually our, it's the mindset of works, the mindset of behavior. It's the mindset of performance. And identity is not predicated on one's behavior. However, when Jesus, right, he makes it clear, God makes it clear, it's a new creation, when it's him, our new identity now is associated with a new birth. Not works, not performance, not behaviors. A new spiritual birth by him and from him, which means that our identity can only be linked to him, belonging to him. He defines us by our birth and not what we do. 
kind of like the Bible, right? There was a time if you if study the Bible, when they put someone or list someone, they don't say they usually say he was a son of he was a son, the daughter of that. It was usually a culture of family. So now when I do birth, I don't care about my performance or what I do. I want that same title, Joseph, the child of God. There's no better identity than that. There's nothing that's going to bring you to, to navigate this sinful world this sinful world, than recognizing that you are a child of God. That God, being so perfect, sent his son to die for he could adopt us. It's one of the most beautiful things you could possibly think about. A perfect God seeking out imperfect people. But only God could do it. So one, God creates the new birth. And I live that every single day because it could be very easy. There's so many distractions that could water that down. Number two, look at the same verse. The old things have passed away. Our new nature now, our spiritual nature, didn't automatically deny self. Old things have passed away. What we once loved, we don't longer love. Those passions that we've had, those desires, our opinions, that natural pride, the reliance on works, old way of thinking, self-justification, an exclusive uh, belief on self-promotion, self-righteousness, that has gone. That's also been nailed to the cross. That's dead. The new creation now looks outwardly towards Christ, not inwardly towards self. This is an area where a lot of people that I talk to suffer, right? A lot of people who actually have accepted Christ. Um, the shame and guilt of the things that they've done sometimes just keeps them stuck. When they realize the harm, the crimes, the things that they've done to hurt others, sometimes it's difficult to navigate but understand that those things, although they may have consequences, and we'll get to those, are gone. They're a new person. They're not that same person. What they fail to realize is that that level of shame and guilt that they now have did not exist before they got to Christ because that old nature was not focused on those things. So the automatically it's a reflection of some change. When you start to care about godly things, Regardless if you're aware of what you've done in the past, when you start to care about godly things, it's a reflection that there is change. The new creation now looking towards Christ. And when you focus on Christ, you will see forgiveness. And when you focus on Christ, you will see reconciliation. And when you focus on Christ, you will see death of your old ways. And you, have, you will see a risen life, a new risen life that has come from the cross, from Christ himself. If you were someone immoral, you are now new. If you were an alcoholic, you were now new. If you were stuck in your ways of drugs and addiction, you are now new. If you were a person who did not know how to love, you are not new. Regardless of where you came from, once you accept Christ, you are now new. Back to point one, only God can do that. You could have the memory bank of it. You could know he did 10 years ago. Does not mean you have that nature? Because God's God's word. And so family, I work with a lot of families. I, I get it. Families, friends, the legal system, they may think that you're the same person. They may judge you based on the things you've done, your track record. You're still new. 
though that's a lie, that's a deception. Feelings aren't facts. If God says, I adopted you, belong to me, your book is a name of life, then guess what? You are alive. You are new in Christ. I also realized I have this in my finger. I didn't want this to be a distraction. Now my finger's new. This isn't a paint job. This isn't a minor cosmetics. We have been rebuilt with a new nature. How blessed is it that we have a Christ that has crucified our sinful nature. A sinful nature that has caused us so much hurt. You are 100% a new creation. Spiritually and eternally, 100%. Feelings aren't facts, like I said, just because it doesn't feel like you're new. Just because you're stuck in certain ways, it does not mean it. I don't have time to discuss the power of sin, right? But we are reminded by Paul that that, however, lives in us. And that still has to be crucified, right? Um, I understand the consequences exist. I understand that temptations are created now based on things that we've done in the past. I understand that relationships that might be severed or might be ruptured based on things that we've done in the past. However, it just means that your new life now knows what to bring to Christ. Your new life now tells you what I need to work on through the power of Christ. The old things have passed and new things have come. The third point, the new has come. And if something has died or crucified past, we have to replace it with new things. And the newborn soul delights in the things of God. The things of, of the flesh no longer exist, right? Our purposes, our feelings, our desires, uh, the understanding of, of certain things, we no longer see the world the same. We are able to, to see and experience wonders of God's truth. The Bible itself, the word of God, it seemed, it's, it seemed marvelous. It seemed living. We look at it differently. We have a spiritual nature about us. We believe truth. The whole face of, of, of our nature has changed. The heaven and earth filled with wonders and all the things we do, we bring forward to praise God. And it reminds me of a client I had who uh, I was working at an agency and no one wanted to see her. She was 19, 20 years old and she wasn't very engaged and responsive to, to therapy. And um, I got to the point where there's six therapists um, and social workers who did not want to work with her. So um, they asked me as last resort. And I was like, sure, I'll take this client, of course. And um, 19, uh, a lot of abuse, a lot of things, a lot of high trauma. I'm not going to go into details. Um, but it got to a point where um, she didn't want to speak at times. And so that's fine. If, if you get to know me, it's very hard to rattle me. So I'll see her like a, on like a Monday or Tuesday. I was like, so how was your weekend? And she responded, I don't know, I got to think about it. It's been two days already. I said, okay. I don't have hour sessions, just minor things. Um, eventually being persistent, just being there, holding space for her. Um, things got worse. Um, she got confusion with her identity, and she started to identify um, different genders and a lot of confusion um, that led her to actually more abuse and, and lost her ways and um, substance abuse, and it got to a point I'm like, oh my goodness. Um, and I remember I had close friends of mine, spiritual leaders, who would say, you just got to stop. You got to stop. And I remind them, well, I'll stop 
if this person wants to stop, I'm going to honor what they want to do. Um, to make a long story short, she got curious a few times about my ability to just stay on. And it opened an opportunity to let her know that my tolerance and patience did not come from me. It came from something else, from someone else. And now it just left curiosity. Um, and let's just say right now she gave her life to Christ. Um, she's at church. Um, she's serving in the youth ministry. Um, and she changed right before my eyes. It literally boggles my mind, the person that I once saw, the person that I saw. And you know what fascinates her? That she's a new creation. The fact that God is able to absolutely sacrifice, nail that old nature, and that she is now a spiritual being, has changed her ways. That's what God does. And that change in that person, again, I'm fascinated by change, has blown my mind and just how impressive God is. The things you once love, we now detest. I see that in her, I see it in all of us. Um, what made me stick to her? Um, was the relationship that Christ brought to me once I became a Christian. I viewed the world a lot different than I did back then. And I recognized it. She asked me, she's like, what made you stick to me? Like, what made you continue? And I told her, I was like, I saw a lost sheep that needed a shepherd. And she was like, yeah, I'm serious. <laughs> she's like, yeah, okay, sheep, I'm shepherd. Um, <laughs> you call me a sheep? Um, but she understood. She understood. She's like, yeah, I was lost. I'm no longer lost. And now I'm different, Joseph. I've changed. I don't think things differently. Yeah, you're a new creation. How beautiful is that? And we remind in the book of Ephesians and, and Colossians, right, that we put on the new man. We put on the spiritual person that we are. You know, my son's not here. Um, but if you know my son, he's just very even keel. Never too high, never too low. I'm like, yo, DeAndre, you like this? Yeah, sure. Hey, overrated, underrated. That's just him, just... Anyone he likes something, he's like, that was fire. Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> Your body language says otherwise, but okay. <clears throat> but he had an orientation uh, for university last week. It was a two-day orientation. And when I, go, when I went to pick him up, he's like, Dad, the secular world is crazy. I was like, yeah, what happened? He's like, you know, there was a bunch of group of students, and they wanted to take an inappropriate picture with the statue. And he was like, everyone. I was like, and what happened? I said, I couldn't do it. I was like, you just said I couldn't do it. He said, yeah. I said, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to do it. And when I said that, someone else did the same thing. And I was like, yeah. Isn't it crazy how that works sometimes? And I was just like, this little knucklehead, the one that's giving me more headaches than, than all my kids. Who, and, but he understood. He understood that although he is who he is in personality, he understood that he is different. He has a different nature about him. He's not, he is not fleshy and carnal. He is spiritual. And although he's going to make mistakes, and he will continue to make mistakes. If you are a parent, your children are going to make tons of mistakes. In front of your eyes, behind your back. Mistakes that you will see, mistakes that you will never know. But if they are alive with Christ, they are saved, they have hope, and they have unlocked potential. As a parent, what touches the heart more? Your children. Your absolute children. How beautiful is it when you look at your children and say, you know what? They accepted Christ. They're saved. I got three girls right here. I could tell you 10 good things about them. I could tell you a whole list of things that drive me crazy about them. While three of them say they love the Lord. 
All three of them said they love Christ. There's potential there. I'll let God work with that. It's a beautiful thing when we're in real. And one of the verses that always stood out to me has always been Galatians chapter 3, when it says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond or free, and there male or female for ye all in Christ Jesus. And I love that because I work with so many demographics. I work with so many people. This world is led to create division, create conversations and groups to lead social justice. The reality is that we are all people who rely need to, need to depend on God. And if you look at someone who is not saved, they're all equal to one thing. They need a savior. That's it. That's it. And I love that. And so every way I approach, if you get to me, every time I approach people, I'm engaging, I like to choke around and whatnot. But my whole focus is that if they don't know God, what can God do in my life to create an opportunity? How can I project God's goodness on people? Because when you do that, they learn that and they do it. See, when we're new creation, we're all supposed to share in that new creation. He loves us so much that he refuses to keep us the same. Forgiveness is awesome. I mean, there's, I, I love the fact that he forgives us, but knowing that, that we are saved is, a, again, we have eternity secured. Great things. But the bonus comes the fact that he's able to give us a new nature, a spiritual birth, and a world that's full of sin. That's his bonus. But we're not there just to receive it. We're there to spread it, right? And so life is hard. I look around this room right now, and I, there's countless stories of betrayal, of hurt, heartaches. Some of you guys probably don't have your children in, in, in places that you don't want them to be right now. You might be struggling with relationships, loneliness, a lot of things. Life is hard, absolutely. But feelings, again, I'll say they are not facts. What about the Christian that continue to sin, Joseph? I get that all the time from my clients as well and from people in church. Well, there's a difference between continue to sin, right, or continue to live in sin. The difference is that we're no longer slave to sin. I am no longer a slave to who I was, to the sin. We are now freed from that sin. And we have the power with God with us. See, God is now glorifying us every single day. Sanctification every day. We're trying to become holier. Our goal is to mature and bear fruit. But the reality is, even if you struggle with sin, even if the flesh sometimes takes control, right, it does not mean that you reverted back to your old nature. It means that you need to strengthen your relationship with Christ, find support, and continue to grow with the Lord. You're still spiritual. You can't be unborn. God's not going to unadopt you. You probably could be living a life that's contrary to what you are, which is a new nature, right? You could probably have a, a, a unhealthy relationship, but does not mean you're unborn. And so no one reaches sinless perfection. We all have the capacity to sin, but you are now live spiritually. You are now alive spiritually, and you can mature in the new nature that God has created. And so when we talk about that, and I'm wrapping up. I'm aware of time. There's always going to be this battle that we have flesh, right? The, the, the flesh is weak, the spirit is always willing. We get that. That's going to be a battle. I can't tell you. Well, I can tell you. The multitude of church members, not this church, but a lot of churches, that feel 
that they don't they, they revert back to the old nature just because they struggle with the flesh. Listen, we're, we're made out of flesh. We're human. We're going to have that. That shame and guilt that we get sometimes when we, we battle sin, it is not a reflection that we are unloved. It's not a reflection that we're doing. It's a reflection that we need to seek God more. I mean, when you look in the book of Romans, and I actually put that in my notes here, right? It talks about chapter, Romans chapter 7, for I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing, for the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would do not, but the evil which I wouldn't, that I do. Which means it highlights the ongoing war that you have with flesh and its desires. However, there is a will there. And that will is reflective of a new nature. That will is reflective of a new spirit. We cannot be unborn. Salvation is permanent. You cannot be unadopted by God. God has adopted you. He has sealed you. You have secure salvation. 100% accepted. 100% forgiven. You are not who you were. Don't let the, the lies and deception of the world change that otherwise. You can choose to live a carnal life. You could choose to have sin reign in your life, right? Or you could choose to be dead in sin and alive with Christ Jesus. The reality now, you can now choose. Now you have the power to make that choice. And in conclusion, when I got my new car, although I love the Corolla, and I actually saw it in Honduras in the parking lot. I was like, oh, wow, I'm going to take this car. Um, although when I got my new car, a lot of joy. I rejoiced in that red Honda. 2007 SI. It was cool. I bought it, from the, it, was a, it. I bought it in 2007, so it was a big deal, right? Um, there was no later version. I rejoiced. I loved having a new car. But I'll be honest with you. That same joy that I got for something new is the same exact joy that us, the church, should have when people are lost and are now found. You know, when we read, when you look at, I believe it's, Luke chapter 15, when Christ given the parable of the lost coin and the sheep, and he reminds us, right? He says, there's, there's, there is rejoice in the heavens, right? In the presence of angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Which means the fact, the fact that the heavens are rejoicing. The angels before God are rejoicing for one life that was lost and now found. My goodness. That's a beautiful thing. I live my life. I've learned to live my life to at least make efforts to one person. If there was one person in this church, my energy would still be the same. Because I recognize if that person is not saved, if God could use me to create opportunity for the heavens to rejoice, what a beautiful thing. For that person to actually have their old nature die and regain a new spiritual life, be adopted by Christ, live alive with Christ, what a beautiful thing. That same rejoice that we have when a baby is born, right? We celebrate with hugs and, and we have gifts and laughter and cheers, right? We, we don't only celebrate because it's a new life. We celebrate that the baby made it, right? We celebrate that the child made it to the arms of the parents. That's part of it, right? You have a new birth, amen. A baby's here, but the baby made it out the womb. It's a beautiful thing when the baby's wrapped. I'm looking, at, I'm looking at you, but I knew you had a new baby. That was unintentional. Um, but when you have a new baby, you celebrate that, right? And so the same is a beautiful thing with the newborn soul, which is the arms of the Heavenly Father. 
It's a beautiful thing. And so we should celebrate that because that person, right, we knew we were destined to. The fact that that person was ripped from the jaws of hell and sin and, and now regained new life in Christ and now has a secure salvation should bring rejoice to us. And so if there's anything you know as I preach today is that, yes, you may know that you're a new creation, of course. You may know you're born again. Absolutely, it's been preached a lot. But the reality is sometimes you need a reminder. Sometimes we need a reminder that, you know what, God is in control. He doesn't who creates it. Right? Two, that the old nature does not reflect of who I am. And three, that as long as I'm alive with Christ, there's unlocked potential. And while I'm doing that, let me open my eyes for those around me. Because I'm going to tell you something right now. As I look at you guys, I'm making a vow to myself, is to pray for the church as I get home, for all those stressors, all those family members that might not be saved, all the children that are ill, because I do understand it. As I stand here, I don't just preach and just speak. I speak out of my heart. I've seen a lot of things. Life has been really challenging for me. And if you're in ministry long enough, I think Pastor confirming, you will have betrayal. There will be times of discouragement. You know what's the difference about this and other things? And there's always hope and faith. That when I get discouraged and I fall back, I fall back in the arms of the Lord. And I'm always restored. We are rebuilt. And so, I'll leave it here. Remember that you are not who you were, remember that even your actions when you fall are not reflective of who you are. If you accepted Christ, you belong to him. A child of God, a deeply rooted identity. God bless you guys. I love you guys. If I haven't spoke to you, I still love you. And I'll be here. Um, hasta la próxima. Que yo le bendiga mucho. Tía, como estas? Yo le bendiga. I love you. I dropped my finger. Pastor, on that cue. Here you go. Thank you, Joseph. So, if you're wondering.